Hello, and welcome to our segment on the individual mandate for Professor Ludwinski's public economics course. I'm J.D. Wilson, and I'm joined by my colleagues Aisha Gorpade and Jeff Marr. Congressional Republicans are close to passing a tax bill that, among other things, will repeal the Affordable Care Act's individual mandate. While they were not able to do so earlier in the year during their attempt at health reform, a version of the tax bill that eliminates the individual mandate has already passed both the House and Senate. This is motivated in part by ideological objections to the mandate, but also by a desire to use the budget savings from the mandate's repeal. In particular, the Congressional Budget Office estimates that 13 million fewer people will be covered in 10 years, and that this will lead to a substantial decrease in federal spending on premium subsidies and Medicaid. We spoke to Professor Jothi Khanna, a health economist at Colgate University, about the reasoning behind the individual mandate and how it works in its current form. The mandate also got around the adverse election problem of insurance, right? So it was not only the people who thought that they were going to need insurance, you know, medical cost care uh, in the next year or so were buying insurance, but now everybody was going to be insured. So the thing is that when we talk about the mandate, it was politically, uh, you know, very, very difficult, um, and it still is, okay, for it to be accepted. But it really is the, is, the, is the fulcrum that holds this extensive, you know, coverage, this complex system of providing coverage to, you know, not only the older and the sicker, you know, people, but also, you know, uh, the, the younger that would have this access to preventive care. In 2006, Massachusetts implemented a similar policy and research conducted by Amitabha Chandra, Jonathan Gruber, and Robin McKnight found that when Massachusetts' version of the mandate was implemented, there were sharp increases in health insurance enrollment, particularly among those who were not chronically ill. This marked increase in enrollment made insurance costs uh, more broadly shared, reducing the adverse selection problem inherent to health insurance markets, as Professor Khanna mentioned. The mandate works in a couple of different ways. First, the mandate carries a financial penalty that can be weighed against the costs and benefits of signing up for insurance. Research by David Auerbach argues that there are also factors unrelated to the amount of the penalty itself that affect people's behavior. For example, this research suggests that people often follow laws for intrinsic reasons, and so people may sign up for insurance because they think they're supposed to. Economists call this a compliance effect. In addition, People tend to react quite strongly to potential losses. Therefore, the possibility of having to pay a penalty may have a behavioral effect, one which economists dub loss aversion. Overall, the mandate may have changed behavior in these ways as well as others. In addition to the behavioral factors specifically related to the mandate, this research also argues that there may have been change in social norms, such as a reduced stigma surrounding Medicaid that accompanied the implementation of the mandate in ACA more broadly. However, research from Molly Freen, Jonathan Groomer, and Benjamin Summers demonstrates the difficulty in disentangling the effects of the law's different provisions and the mandate's financial and non-financial incentives. Regardless of the exact mechanisms through which the mandate affects coverage, experts worry that repealing it could create serious setbacks and revitalize adverse selection issues. There are a lot of people who are going to drop out of the market, and the people who are going to drop out are the ones who were resisting it and still resisted it, right, throughout. So if the younger and the healthier ones leave this, this group, then there are the problems once again of adverse selection, 
the cost of even the the lowest the simplest plan the cheapest plan is going to go up because you know the 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 group that we really wanted to be included has left the market so the price of even the cheapest plans is going to go up over time okay which would lead to then the death spiral of you know the insurance plans that as the costs go up more people pull out of the insurance market and who are left the sicker okay the costs go up again in the second round and hence what's going to happen eventually you know if there is no intervention we are going to have people who are who really need uh, health care okay who have expensive you know health care costs and the premiums are going to be very very high dave wilson an author and economics professor at pace university finds the pre-ACA experience of New York to be instructive in considering insurance markets without a mandate. One perhaps interesting uh, thing to look at is the experience in New York State prior to 2010, the Affordable Care Act. I did some research on that. Uh, New York has a had at that time similar provision in the ACA, which is you cannot deny people for pre-existing conditions and you cannot rate um, – individuals or families in terms of setting your premiums. So that had one aspect of the ACA, but it did not have either subsidies or the individual mandate. As a result, insurance in New York on a private basis was prohibitively expensive. Um, I looked at um, like a Blue Cross plan uh, in that time period, which was about $60,000 a year. Obviously, you're not going to pay $60,000 a year for insurance, particularly if you're middle income, and let's say your pre-tax income is $60,000 a year. Uh, there was an estimate in the New York Times article that um, maybe only 17% of New Yorkers had purchased private insurance, individual insurance, um, which, again, is not surprising because of the cost um, and the fact that you would have very high levels of ad adverse selection in that policy pool. However, one difference between the New York experience and ACA is the presence of premium subsidies, which crucially interact with the mandate to support insurance markets. The researchers behind the Massachusetts study argue that, quote, whether the Massachusetts experience can be generalized to the rest of the country depends in part on the relative sizes of the subsidies provided. The higher the subsidies, the smaller the role for an individual mandate, end quote. Some people's worries about the fallout from repeal are tempered by the presence of these subsidies. Lisa Carson, a North Dakota insurance executive, argued in a recent interview with the Huffington Post that, quote, the availabilities of subsidies for low and moderate income families is the real driver of enrollment, not the mandate, end quote. Overall, repealing the individual mandate will likely have a substantial effect on coverage. The degree to which it reduces coverage will likely depend on the severity of renewed adverse selection problems, the persistence of social norms, and the relative strength of the premium subsidies. Regardless, the repeal of the individual mandate will likely have drastically negative effects on insurance markets for years to come. With that happy thought in mind, thanks for listening. Small correction. In his interview, Mr. Wilson mentioned that 17% of New Yorkers directly purchase private health insurance in one year. That number is actually 17,000, which is substantially smaller than 17%.